Welcome to the Blitz with Rob and Chris. Man, nothing get me more hyped than Christmas music stuff bounce beat. Rob, what's up, bro? Gotta love that bounce beat, that trigger man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas to everybody. A lot of good sports going on. NBA season just kicked off, so let's jump right in. Yeah, you know, look, bounce make everything sound better. You know what I mean? So Merry Christmas to everybody out there. Um we're gonna come, you know. We got we got some good topics, a lot of a lot of shit going on. So, like you said, let's just jump right into it. Um, start off with NBA restart or NBA new season, I guess I should say. Start uh opening night, kickoff, LA Clippers, LA Lakers, uh Brooklyn Nets, Warriors, Golden State Warriors. What, what's your thoughts? I mean, obviously, Golden State Warriors, I'll start there because that's the easy one. You know, they need clay, they're not gonna be the same without clay, they're not the same without Draymond. Uh the Uber pickup um not gonna be enough you know uh what's what's my guy the other guard that they that they got uh who was drafted by the by the Cavs and they traded uh in the love trade Wiggins Wiggins Wig- I mean yeah. Wiggins and Ubre I mean the fact that I can't remember Wiggins' name anymore too <laughs> yeah. but more more importantly like Wiggins and Ubre athletic wings can defend you know maybe to the rim a little bit but they're not the shooters that you're now missing um, they're not going to replace the shooting that you're now missing with a Clay Thompson. So, I, as much as I want to say, look, Brooklyn looked great. Brooklyn's going to be the clear cut number one seed. You got to take it all with a grain of salt because because Golden State is not the Golden State of old. Now the Lakers Clippers game, I think it's pretty clear that the Lakers have a early season hangover. I mean, what are we? 70 days removed from the bubble. Yeah. Uh, it's also pretty clear that LeBron James is going to be on a minute restriction. So while, you know, hats off to Paul George for the, for, for his performance, um, this is what he did last year, right? This is what we've always come to expect, right? Great regular season, but can he carry it through um, in the postseason? So unfortunately for him, the question remains unanswered. And until he does this in the postseason, pretty much a Western Conference final, those questions are going to remain. First off, I want to shout out my boy Kelly Oubre Jr., who you was trying to, you know, shit on. And man from New Orleans, Louisiana, you heard me? Grew up in New Orleans East. East over, you know, where, where you got dissed by Michael Jordan for the uh, for the, for the signature. <laughs> that is not at East over. That was at English Turn, first of all. Oh. <laughs> first of all. <laughs> What did Kelly Oubre shoot like three of eleven or something? I don't, I don't know, man. But that man from New Orleans, right? He, man, shooting like he was shooting on Joe Brown Rams. Yeah, that man played that Melvin, bro. Get it right. Listen, uh, we know Clay is out for the year. Is the Warriors Warriors dynasty over as we know it? Like even once Clay comes back, like does that team contend for a championship? Given the new landscape of the NBA with the Clippers, with the Nets now. I think it's hard to say, right? Because it depends on how he comes back physically. I mean, now you're coming off of two back-to-back lower body injuries. I'm just not sure that you're going to be the same. One of the big draws of Klee Thompson was not only his shooting, but his ability to defend on the wing. He was considered an elite defender at 6'7". Um, 
And does he move as well, you know, after two lower body injuries? I think that remains to be seen, and that's that's really important. So I don't – I mean, I think they're going to still be a playoff team, but it's quite possible um, that that window has closed for um, their, their dynasty. We're talking about a playoff team that's going to compete, but dynasty, that I'm not sure. Oh, and, and I did just look it up. Wiggins, 4 16. Kelly Uber Jr., 3 of 14. Steph Curry, 7 of 21. So, as I told you off the pod, this is what the Steve Kerr offense looks like when you got guys who are not historically great three point shooters. First of all, you're going to stop dissing my man, Steve Kerr. That man missing two of his five starters, bro. I ain't want to go there. So, we're going to move on uh, to, to the Nets. So, listen, KD looks healthy. Kyrie, you know, still talking foolishness, but he looked good. He led the team in scoring. Nash made his debut as head coach. What are your expectations of the Nets, especially after seeing game one? I mean, to me, you built that team championship or bust, right? So to me, I'm looking to be one of the top two seeds in the Eastern Conference and go to the NBA Finals. And if not, I'm disappointed. Um, But and I, I like their roster. I mean, you know, you saw what you're getting in terms of DeAndre Jordan looks like he turned back the hands of time a little bit. He's going to be a force, you know, in the interior defense and rebounding. And then, you know, you got a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert. Those are guys who can provide you with some scoring and some defense size athleticism. And then you got your dogs, Kyrie and KD. And every, you know, everything is going to revolve around them. You're going to sink or swim on on where they take you. But, you know, Kevin Durant, 7-16, to 16, you know, he, he looked good. He looked physically healthy. and. Yeah. And so I think the question mark is with those type of lower body injuries, as we saw with DeMarcus Cousins, as we saw with Klay Thompson, you know, you kind of, in my opinion as a fan, are always looking over your shoulder to see if another injury comes potentially because of the way they may be favoring another, uh, you know, part of the body, the way they may alter their running and jumping based on fear that that body part's not ready. Especially this year, because although it's a shortened season, it's still it's still seventy two as opposed to eighty two, so it's only ten less games, and the season started about two months later than it typically starts. Um, so you wonder because they're going to have more back to back games or, or you know more games in shorter windows than they've had the last couple of years, where they, the the commissioner Silver and, and the NBA really took. Uh, he to what the players were saying and tried to, you know, lessen the back-to-back games and stuff like that. You wonder if this shortened season um, will have an impact on dudes like KD with, with the injury. But to your point, KD looked healthy. He looked elite. He looked like possibly the best player in the league. But something about KD and Kyrie is just like when it's going good, it's going to be real good. I want to see when they go on a two- or three-game losing streak or when in the playoffs and they down 3-2 in a series, how does it look with them? You know, like they, they're front runners, both right. of them. Um, and I think it's clear KD is the number one option on that team. And I think that's a good thing because uh, Kyrie is showing you when he's the, the lead dog, his teams aren't don't tend to be that successful, uh, at least don't don't make deep playoff runs. So um, and they both took 16 shots, both played 25 minutes. So, you know, Steve Nash did a really good job of – um, you know, making sure everything like you have two kids, and they right. each got, you know, 
half of the cookies out of the pack. The issue becomes, like you said, when the game is close and you can't necessarily divide it up that way, how does it work out? Uh, they were on live with each other maybe two weeks ago, and there was a lot of talking back and forth. Kyrie was talking about his post-up opportunities, comments and saying he wanted eight post-ups post ups per game. Uh, KD was just basically like, yeah, we'll see. And there was some comments about, you know, that's a lot for a point guard. to. So, you know, there is – there's room for controversy there. And like you said, it's probably not going to raise up the head until um, there's some actual difficulty in the, in the schedule and the season. Right. Uh, Lakers got their rings, the most expensive rings in NBA history. Uh, and they looked like a team that was still on a high. LeBron does did what LeBron does. And that's, you know, look f- dominant. Um, you know, look like the, the best player on the court. Uh, led the Lakers. They, they fell early, and he kind of led them on a comeback to tie it up. He sprained his ankle. Looks like it's going to be okay. Looks like he's going to play on Christmas Day. Um, but Paul George dominated that second half. I don't think there's a lot of takeaways from this game, just given game one. Uh, Lakers, LeBron, AD didn't look too interested in playing game one. Don't really care uh, about regular season accomplishments. So, you know, I, I think that's going to be the result most nights when a Clippers and Lakers play in a regular season. But but any takeaways from the game? I didn't see the three-point shooting that you're going to need, right, from these guys. KCP didn't give me much. Wesley Matthews gives you virtually nothing. Marcus Gasol gives you virtually nothing. Um, I like the energy from Schroeder and, and um, Trez Harrell, right? Those are guys who are who've given you some youth. And they're going to need to score a lot of points over this opening stretch because they're the guys who didn't play as much as the rest of these guys on this Lakers roster. So while you're cutting LeBron's minutes, while you may be cutting AD's minutes, Harrell and Schroeder are going to have to pick up some of that scoring uh, burden. So I like that. But some of these other guys are going to have to, to do more also. Um, and also, I just feel like, you know, we're going to talk about this later, but a lot of people have called for Anthony Davis as their early season vote for MVP. And he simply can't come out. I think he had 14 points through the middle of the fourth quarter. And he simply can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. The days of, of the where's Anthony Davis games have to end, right? right. You're an NBA champion. We're expecting you to turn a corner. There's no holes in your game. There's no reason that you shouldn't start calling for the ball early and dominating. LeBron James is 36 years old. It's time for you to step up and take the mantle of this being your team. Especially – in a regular season, right? Like LeBron at this point is all about rings. He's trying to save his body for the playoffs. So they need AD to be the MVP of the regular season. They need him to be the number one option night in and night out and lead that team uh, during the regular season. So I, I think that's important. And me and you talked a little bit about this off the pod, but the Lakers got to be careful to kind of just go with the flow for the regular season because come June, you know, with people starting to get the vaccine already, there could be fans uh, or, or limited fans, some kind of fans in the stands for the playoffs, if not a full capacity, depending on, you know, when the vaccine gets distributed to everybody. So while it's all fun and games now and, and there's no fans in the stands, that could come back to haunt them if they play around um, and get like the third or fourth, fifth seed in, in the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's just this has to – he has to have his, for his legacy purposes, he needs to have some years of actual dominance where he's the best player in the league. 
And you only do that by performing night in and night out. And no better year to start than this year where um, at 36 with 70 days from the last season, LeBron James is going to have to really load manage himself. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And while we're talking figuratively about um, AD not showing up in game one, let's talk about a team that literally couldn't show up for game one, the Houston Rockets. And what has been a shit show of an offseason from the time they got, you know, knocked out of the playoffs. They fired the general manager, Daryl Morey. Um, they hired a new coach, Paul Silas Jr. Russell Westbrook and, and Harden demand a trade. Westbrook gets traded. Harden gets seen at a club. We're going to talk about Harden a little later, but just it's just been one event after the other. Now, most of the team, they couldn't even feel the team based on COVID contact tracing, and, and they weren't eligible to play. They're not sure actually when they're going to be able to play. They could be missing multiple games yeah i mean so many storylines here they couldn't i guess the rule is if you can't get an eight-man roster yep. um then the game gets postponed and so it wasn't just james harden's issues it was also john wall demarcus cousins um along with some other players it appears may have gone to get a haircut and then were potentially exposed i think they tested negative but obviously it takes days for the virus to show up so right now you have to be quarantined for those days in order to um, to verify that you didn't in fact contract the virus, which begs the question: exactly how many day, how many games might get canceled? Just a lot going on here, man. Like Daryl Morey was in the paper the other day. He obviously went to the Sixers, but he's still kind of claiming, you know, that he feels he did the right thing out there in China. Um, then you got Silas, the head coach. I feel like they just they're saying it. Yeah, players it's making him look like a bad leader and he hadn't even played his first basketball game yet right um, right and then you got the storyline of james harden uh article drops the other day where it says that basically it was harden's world in houston um everything from how long they stayed in cities after games in order for him to party um when planes left they said russell westbrook had a problem with it also, they talked about him basically saying he wanted Howard out. He wanted CP3 out. He was done with Westbrook. And so he's been running that franchise for a long time, and now he's saying he wants out. Uh, even a story that he threw a basketball at a rookie's head in practice the other day, such that he's trying to force himself out. And then obviously, you know, the strip club incident this week, you talk about a bad week for a franchise. The Houston Rockets have had one of the worst weeks in sports um, and I don't know that it gets better, right? Because these guys have to now potentially quarantine for a few days. Right. So we'll see how that shakes out. But like we said, shortened season, 72 games, you got to make the play. You still got to make the playoffs. Right. Right. And I mean, yeah, right. Definitely. Definitely. And, and I, I just get start getting frustrated with like all these demands. We read about Kawhi Leonard a couple of weeks ago. Now Harden. like, at what point do you have to earn, like, I mean, I, I know Kawhi had two rings, but you ain't do shit with the Clippers. Like, you, right. you don't get to live in San Diego until you ask when a ring here. Right. You know, hard. He ain't won shit but an MVP. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I just think these teams have become real soft and, and, and allowing these players to kind of run the franchise in the ground. But real quickly, I want to uh, talk about some preseason awards uh, and topics. Coming into this year, what player do you think has the most pressure to win a championship? I mean – Honestly, I think it's Paul George, right? Wow, okay. 
Paul George because you could say, you know how everybody always said there's a lot of pressure when you play with LeBron James because if you play with LeBron and you win, he's going to get the credit and mm -hmm. you're going to get the blame. Well, quiet is kept. That's what just happened to Paul George, right? They lost. Kawhi choked in the fourth quarter of, of the last game, but the blame should have been spread between the both of them, and it seems that it all went to Paul George, right? Yeah. Why? Because Kawhi already has rings. Exactly. And then what happens is you turn around and have this interview where you dog Doc Rivers, and Doc Rivers has recently responded and said, listen, he needed somebody to blame. I'll take the blame. I don't know why he's basically still saying my name, but if he needs somebody to blame, blame me. Um, and so now you add pressure on yourself that way. And so I feel like a lot of these other guys, man, Kawhi, um, KD, AD, LeBron, they all have rings now, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think the pressure falls on Paul George because Kawhi didn't resign, so he's on a one-year deal. So theoretically, y'all don't win this year. He could leave you in L.A. with the Clippers, and then your legacy becomes that even with the stacked team, you couldn't win with Kawhi. Kawhi can go on to somewhere else and win more championships. Now you're left with the Clippers as the guy who couldn't win with Kawhi, and now all of a sudden like you're on this five-year deal, and you might not get another big trade because yeah. you seen as a guy who went from Indiana to OKC to the Clippers and now you're trying to get out to a fourth team and, and, and nobody may want to touch you so that's why I say that you know the pressure's on him this year because all these other big names have rings and, and James Harden is sabotaging his whole situation so <laughs> right take him out of the equation I, I would say I got two answers for this as a team I think it's the Nets, right? Because you went all in on Kyrie and KD. Kyrie wanted out of the Cavs with LeBron, went to Boston. That was a total disaster. He handpicked the Nets. Um, so as a team, I think it's the Nets. As the, the player, I believe it's Kevin Durant. And, that's, and I say that because he left OKC because he wanted to win a championship. So he joins... The, the team with the single season best record in NBA history. He wins the ring, beats LeBron head to head, feels like he outshined LeBron, which his team won and he had the better performance. I would argue his team was that much better that that helped elevate him. But he felt like he, he always felt like he never really got the respect he deserved going head to head with LeBron and winning finals MVP two consecutive years. So now you go to another team, you go to the Nets, meet up with your boy Kyrie, so now for me, the pressure is on for KD to win it without um, the safety net of the Warriors organization and what had already been a championship culture. Now you got to create the culture. And so I believe if and I, and I believe the window is small, right, because you got dudes like Giannis at 25, 26. You got the, the Nuggets with Jamal Murray. You know, you got a lot of these young guys, um, AD still with the Lakers. So, they're 6'10", shooting three. Jason Tatum in, in, uh, in Boston, exactly, uh, 76ers. So I believe the window is shorter now for, for KD at 31, 32 years old before these young bucks come in and, and start dominating the league. So he only got about a two- or three-year window. And if he doesn't win anymore and he only has the two that he won with Golden State, I don't think he's his place in, in you know the top 10 of the NBA uh, you know best ever, elite. I don't know if that's solidified with only two rings with, with just Golden State and one league MVP. 
So I, I believe uh, this is a, a make or break two or three years for, for KD. Um, moving into to preseason predictions, uh, who's your MVP for this year? And I said it, you know, had you asked me this before game one, I was prepared to go Anthony Davis. And so I, you know, I don't want to change um, simply because of, of game one. Um, yeah. I simply feel like this has to be his year, right? He has to come out this year um, and dominate. If you want to take this next step and be remembered as one of the greats, a league MVP is necessary. When Shaq and Kobe played together, you know, Shaq, Kobe, both in their career with MVPs. You can't simply, you know, win championships with LeBron James and not have any MVPs, but then be considered one of the greatest of all time when it's all said and done. And so for me, he's got to find that fire with him. He's capable of everything that Giannis is capable of and more, right? Mm -hmm. And so you look at, you know, how many shots he's going to be able to get up. That's really on how aggressive he chooses to be. Right. Choose to be aggressive enough. He could do everything Giannis is doing more. So I think that, you know, this has got to be his year to be the league MVP. Yeah. I, I still think he somewhat defers to LeBron. And I think that's the one thing that is going to hold him back offensively from, from taking that MVP. I'm going with KD. As I mentioned, I stated all the reasons why I j just a moment ago, um, I, I think KD is out to prove himself to to prove that he's 100 percent back to prove that he's the, the the best player in the NBA add to his legacy. And so I believe he's going to go balls to the wall all year, um, try to put up big points. And I think he wins league MVP. What about defensive player of the year? Who you got here? Defensive player of the year. You know, I'm, I'm going to go with, you know, Rudy Gobert. You're talking about a guy who, you know, that's a staple in the game. Not much to say about him. Um, you know, he 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 mans that paint, commands a lot of attention whenever you try to drive to the basket. So I got him on the defensive play. This is where I go, Anthony Davis. I think he uh he talked up a lot last year about really aiming towards being defensive player of the year, and he lost out to to Giannis, I believe. Uh, I think that's where he he doesn't mind kind of taking the lead, and I think he'll step up and 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 be that guy. My dark horse though is a former Pelican, Drew Holiday. I just think that the light is going to shine bright on him. If you listen to a lot of uh, sports podcasts like All of Smoke, when they interview a lot of NBA players, they ask who's the best two-way player, and a majority of them have said that Drew Holiday. So I think Drew has a lot of respect amongst the players, and I think just because he's going to be on the team you know, vying for a championship, more eyes are going to be on him. So that's my dark horse. And last but not least, Rookie of the Year. Who you got in? Rookie of the year. I'm going to take the easy one, you know, Anthony Edwards, which, you know, is, is largely just off of, of game one, right? Mm -hmm. Mellow ball played 15 minutes um, and had zero points, zero made field goals. And quite <laughs> the backcourt in Charlotte doesn't really look like they're going to give up minutes easily because um, I think they, they probably got like 70 points combined um, from their backcourt. Um, and so I think Anthony Edwards is going to have that opportunity. Um, Ricky Rubio at point guard, Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, they just have a roster that is, is younger. Um, and it looks like the rotational minutes are going to uh, swing his way. James Wiseman. Um, I just, you know, the style of basketball they play there, 
I, I don't I don't know that I see him doing enough to to get that MVP and all the other young guys, um, you know, that may be in the conversation, Denny Avija, um, Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin really struggled in game one. Mm-hmm. The Knicks have a backlog at the forward position. Um, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, another one who's in a situation where there's a backload at the guard with what Buddy Hill, uh, yep. De'Aaron Fox, and whatnot. So I think that um, Anthony Edwards is in the right situation to, you know, put up the probably, you know, 14, 15 points a game and get the. Yeah, I, li- I like him a lot. I like also like James Wiseman. I just think uh, with, with the shooting of Steph, with Clay out, Draymond, you know, out the lineup early, they're going to need a second score. And I, I think he's got an opportunity to, to get some easy points with, with the shooting of the Warriors. So I look for him to make an impact, um, be a double double machine. And and just to, to LaMelo Ball, that, that was going to be my pick until I saw game one. <laughs> LaVar Ball season. I know, I know. But I just, like you said, with Rozier dropping 42 tonight, I just don't see a lot of uh, playing time for him. Yes, Terry said, not so fast, my friend. Terry Rozier had 42 points tonight. And Gordon Hayward, I think, had 28. Um, I don't think those dudes intend to to let him get a lot of playing time. But but listen, I got to give credit to LaVar Ball because this, this dude got to be salesman of the year. I mean, to get LaMelo number three after getting Lonzo number two um, and the guys who, you know, they drafted like in Lonzo's class, Tatum, you know, these guys came behind them. I just, man, LaVar did a hell of a sales job. I'll say that. Uh, that's all we got today for the NBA. We'll have more next week, you know, as they, they got a, a five uh, five game lineup for Christmas Day. And, uh, you know, as we get deep into it, we'll start talking about it more. College football playoff. Uh, the four teams came out. Bam was the one seed. They're gonna be playing Notre Dame uh, in the first, in the first, in the semifinals. Then you got Clemson playing Ohio State. Rob, did the committee get it right? Yeah, I mean the committee didn't have a ton of options. Listen, you know, I, and I'm trying not to be a Jimbo Fisher hater because he's at the five, sitting odd man out, saying he should have been in, and just no, he shouldn't. You didn't even play in your conference championship. Um, you played Bama previously. You got smoked, um, and uh, he he's telling this win over Florida, but Florida's not going to the playoffs, right? And I guess he'd have to argue that well, Florida only lost to Bama by three points, therefore, like we're all in the same tier together. But A and M already played Alabama and lost, and so we've already seen that game. We don't need right. We don't need to see it again. And the reality is, Notre Dame did lose their conference championship, but they beat that team once in season. So that's their first loss. You cannot bounce them out on their first loss in a conference championship, um, and then put in Texas A&M, who's previously lost to Alabama at fifty-two to twenty-four. I just don't. I don't see it. Um, so I think the options were limited. You know, the argument that Ohio State should be in, I think is laughable. Listen, it's supposed to be a one-year sample size, one-year resume, but we all know that it's not. You know, right. Justin Fields, Heisman, hopeful, played Ohio with Ohio State last year against Trevor Lawrence. The game was close. We've all waited all year to see that game again. And quite frankly, I think Ohio State wins at this time. Um, and I'm looking at, in my opinion, an Ohio State-Bama championship, which I'm, I'm excited to see. Um, so I think that's, I think that's what it was 
this is what it was always going to be. And it's kind of sad that college football is this predictable at this point, even though we added this playoff, but it is what it is. This is the game um, that I think we've been building up to all year. Uh, Clemson, Ohio State, that's why Dabo can't keep Ohio State's name out of his mouth. And then I think the national championship <laughs> will be Bama, Ohio State. I think Bama probably wasn't running away, but I still think it'll be fun to watch. Listen, man, the fix was in. The fix was in on Ohio State when, when the Big Ten changed their rules after all the games had been played to get Ohio State into the Big Ten championship. So at, at that point, Northwestern versus Maryland or whatever it was going to be. Yeah, it was going to be Northwestern versus Indiana. Indiana with a backup quarterback. So when, when Big Ten went all in and changed the rules after the fact, to me that just signified that a, a, you know college football playoff had already made up their minds. They wanted Ohio State in there and they needed – to, to validate that with a Big Ten championship. There's no way you were going to be able to put a 5-0 and Ohio State team that didn't qualify for their Big Ten championship to get them in the college football playoff. So the fix was in there. Um, and I'm fine with that. Like, there, there's not a lot of um, qualified teams, honestly, when you look at, you know, AM was 5, 6 was a two-loss Iowa State team that had lost to UL Lafayette in Iowa State, in Ames, Iowa, right? So, like, if that's your sixth seed, you don't have much to, you know, you don't have many options there. And who and who's still complaining? What Coastal Carolina? You know? In Cincinnati, right? So Carolina beat UL Lafayette by a field goal. Yeah. And then had their conference championship canceled. So. Right. So, you know, so you didn't have any options. I, I will say AM had an argument. Uh typically teams don't lose the last game and get into um the, the college football playoff and let's face it precedent has been set multiple times by alabama where you don't even have to go to your conference championship and still get into the college football playoff i think alabama's done it two times if i'm not mistaken so so that precedent had been set and i think what oh, it's not as if notre dame was punished they dropped from the two seed to being able to play Oklahoma, uh, ohio state to the four seed to it for a date with an ass within with bama so you know, it's not as if there wasn't some uh, punishment for that late season loss. Well, they had to drop them to four because they couldn't drop them to three and get the ass bust again by Clemson. <laughs> I mean, let's let's talk about the facts, right? They beat Clemson in South Bend in double overtime by field goal with Trevor Lawrence out and two of Clemson's key defensive players out. And you saw what happened at full strength, what happens between Clemson and Notre Dame. Notre Dame gets the ass bust. Um but, but besides the point, I was going to say, I thought AM had a had a, a argument, but to your point, they had already beaten Alabama. I will say they won, I believe, seven in a row. Did you say? They had already lost to Alabama. Right. They already lost to Alabama. But I will say teams do get better as the season goes on. AM reeled off seven wins in a row. I don't think AM is that good, but yeah. I, I could see their argument. Who did they beat? Like, what's no, their signature victory? I agree. I agree. They, they, they beat Florida, who had already lost. By a field goal, other and they than, lost to LSU the week before, which looked bad. Right. Other than that, Texas A&M's victories, Vandy, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Auburn, LSU, Tennessee, Arkansas—nothing to write home about. Like, let's stop Jimbo Fisher trying to take advantage of the COVID plague season to to make it seem as if your team was far and away dominant. Um, and, and, deserve, and, and they beat Vanderbilt 17-12, Mississippi State 20-14. It's not like they was out here, you know, just shining. Yeah. No, I agree. 2-31. to 31. I mean, come on now. Like, the, only, 
I, I think the only debate there is that Notre Dame, if you look at their resume, didn't beat much either. Clemson being the only one and, and without the number one pick in the draft this year. So, uh, but again, I'm, I'm saying all that to say Alabama busting whoever's number four. They busting their ass anyways. So really it's a moot point. And, and to be honest, there's been a blowout just about every year in the college football between that one and 14. One and the four has been, yeah. And Jimbo is just trying to justify that 10 year, $75 million. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So at least one playoff appearance because as it stands now, it don't seem like he's um, poised for a, a spot in that playoff anytime. Yeah, this was his best chance. And and I, I think uh, I would have liked to have seen USC win the Pac 12 championship because then they could have had the argument that if Ohio State goes, we should go to being an undefeated conference champion. So I would have liked that seen that happen just to make it hard on the committee, but it didn't. Um, so you know we'll we'll talk more. Those games are coming up, I think, the next week before you know before New Year. So we'll talk more about those games and those matchups next week. Um, let's move on to the NFL. Uh, the main storyline here is just the playoffs, right? They got two weeks left, and there's a lot of uh, not too many. Teams that are not already in the playoffs they have a shot of getting in, but it's a lot of seeding up for grabs. So, so let's start with the AFC. The Chiefs are the number one seed. Uh, they're gonna get the bye eleven and three. I, I don't see them losing the next two weeks. Then you got the Bills at two, uh, Steelers at three, Titans at four. Bron- uh, so that's your division winners, right? Bills, Steelers, Titans. They all at ten and four. Then you have the Browns, Colts. And Dolphins next up. Browns and Colts are ten and four, and the Dolphins are nine and five. Uh, the Ravens are also nine and five, at, currently sitting at the eighth spot. How do you see that AFC playing out for that for that last uh, playoff spot? I I have the uh, the Ravens getting the last spot. Uh, the Dolphins two game last two games are more difficult than the Ravens last two games uh, by far. Um, so I have the Ravens uh, winning their last two games taking the seventh seed. Um, as for the two seed, I have uh, the Bills holding on to that. I got the Bills holding on to that. So I got Chiefs Bills staying where it is. Where I think you'll see the movement is the Steelers, Titans, Browns, Colts. All three of those teams, I'm sorry, all four of those teams are also at 10 and four. Um, Titans play the Packers this week. If the Titans lose and the Colts win, the Colts all of a sudden have an opportunity to to um, jump all the way up to the three seed and the Colts play the Steelers. So realistically speaking, Colts Steelers, because I think the Packers beat the Titans, Colts Steelers becomes the game that, you know, is, is going to be really telling as to who seizes the three seed. Because if the Titans lose and – the Steelers win that Colts Steelers game. The Steelers get the three, and the Titans and um, Colts remain at four and five, tied with the same record. Um, and in that that last week, um, I believe the Colts and Titans uh, will play each other to to determine the outcome. I'm sorry, no, they they each play a divisional game, but it's not against each other. So I think that the I think that the, the Colts are going to beat the Steelers because the Steelers are really lose to everybody. And I think the Colts are going to – and I think the Titans are going to lose to the Packers, which I think is going to put the Colts at the the three seed. And then it's going to bump the you know Titans-Steelers 
down one each. So the Steelers would be four, Titans would be five. I'm sorry, be six because the Browns, the Browns remaining schedule is really easy. So they're going to win out. Um, and that that's going to create some interesting scenarios. You can have Bills, Ravens, probably in the first round of the AFC playoffs. Mm-hmm. Now you would have the Colts potentially at the three seed, potentially playing a Titans six seed. So the crazy part about it is that matchup three versus six, that's a division arrival in a stadium with no fans, right? So then I'm probably still taking the Titans in that matchup, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it almost doesn't matter because I think the Colts are going to take a first round exit regardless. Um, and then you might get a Steelers-Browns game in the first round, another division rival, which will be a really interesting matchup um, with the Steelers, you know, reeling like they are. Listen, the way it sets up, I think, you know, you hate to go chalk, but I really do think it sets up for a uh, Chiefs-Bills AFC championship. Honestly, the way things are going right now, the only team I see in there from the three seed to the seven seed that could upset some things is probably the Browns because they're just they're they're cruising right now. They're playing well. But you know, another dark horse in there is the Ravens. You're talking about no fans. Because once the playoffs start, that running game, like Lamar Jackson's not an easy out. Right. Because they played poorly during the season. We saw what they did to the Browns on uh in that night game the other night. Like they are a hard team to close a game out against. Um and so if I'm the Bills, like I'm not happy about having to play Lamar Jackson uh, in the first round of the playoffs. So that's just I, just, I know that was a lot, but um, those scenarios in the AFC, these two last two weeks going to determine a lot. And I think it's also important to note just with the Steelers at the third spot right now, 10 and four, they were once 10 and oh, right? Right. Um, and now they're looking at, you know, they don't even have their own division locked up with the Browns at 10 and four. So they got to be really careful about, you know, how they finish off this season. And then the last thing I want to talk about in the AFC, Rob, is are you ready to revisit my Josh Allen versus Cam Newton debate? So let me say this. The the, the last game for Titans-Colts, Colts have Jaguars, Titans have Texans. So they'll probably both win their final game of the season, meaning the Packers-Steelers games for each of them is going to be the determining factor on their record. They probably each have one more victory penciled into their schedule. So the question becomes, which of them wins this week? Because the one that wins this week probably wins. If they both win the final two games, obviously Titans get the division. But if the Titans lose to the Packers, like I'm assuming, and the Colts beat the Steelers, like I'm guessing, the Colts take the division um, and then also take the three seed from the Steelers and bump the Steelers out to the four seed. Uh, revisiting my, my Josh Allen point. Look, when you're wrong, you're wrong, bro. I mean, it's come a long way. Um, you know, for me, a lot of it was his his footwork in the pocket. Um, and he just looked like um, a slower Cam Newton to me and had happy feet. But, I mean, a lot of it, I think, comes down to, to the addition of Stephon Diggs, right? Um you have a guy who can get open and, you know, obviously somebody's worked with him in the offseason and his footwork and, you know, his stepping up in the pocket as a guy with the size that he has, you know, he doesn't have to necessarily fear getting hit like some other quarterbacks. And he's he's standing almost like Big Ben now and just delivering strikes down the field. So I, I got to give him credit for how his game has evolved. 
that that was a long-winded answer that could have just been shortened to Chris, you were right. That, that's that's, that's all that required. It's not like you made this preseason prediction. It was I, like, I made it in week two. It was like week three. The man throwing for 400 yards in like two or three straight games, and then you want to act like you're Nostradamus over there. <laughs> I, I was I was right in your ass. I knew that much. Anyways, let's move on to the end. Oh, oh also, also, I wanted to point out too. Um, God damn it. Oh, yeah, I know what I wanted to say. Uh, we got a bet going on with the Titans that, that they were going to win the division. I like how you found all of these these points that you were right about. <laughs> that I was right about. Like Dalvin Cook versus Leonard Fournette. You want to revisit that one? It's, it's few and far between when you write. You want to revisit the, 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 the Joe Burrow uh, bet? Hey, man, that dude had an injury, bro. That's, that's, I was going to win that one. You know that, but Anyways, let's move on to the NFC shit. Uh Packers look like they're gonna take the they're gonna take the number one seed, right? They're eleven and three. They up on the on the Saints by one game and they beat the Saints head to head. So the only way the Saints can overtake them is if the Packers lose out, the Saints win out. That ain't happening. The Packers probably won't lose out based on the, the they could lose this week to the Titans, although I think they win as well. But uh I think their last game might be like the Lions. So I, I just don't see them losing out. So they, they're pretty much locked in at that one. You got the Saints at two at 10 and four, followed by the Seahawks at three at 10 and four. Uh the fourth seed is a joke with the Washington football team at six and eight. Somebody gotta win the goddamn NFC East. Uh, so they look like the team that's gonna do it. Then you got the the wild cards, the Rams at nine and five, the Bucks at nine and five, and the Cardinals at eight and six. Uh the Bears on the outside looking in at seven and seven. Um, I think it stays chalk. What what's your thoughts on, on the NFC finishing up one through seven? And then who do you think has the biggest chance of being upset uh in that first round? Well, I'll start with that one. I mean, if the Saints play the Cardinals, honestly. Whoever the Cardinals play had the, the best chance of being upset. There were points during this season where we thought that the Cardinals may win that entire division. Right. And that division right. is running close at this point. So mm -hmm. the idea that, you know, the Cardinals are a true seven seed, I don't really agree with that. They could just as easily be the two seed as they could be the seven seed. I mean, we're really talking about one game, two games that separate the entirety of the division. Um, but specifically the Saints at 10 and 4, Cardinals at 8 and 6, that's two games to separate those teams. Right. And you saw what Jalen Hurts did to us, made our strong defense look somewhat pedestrian. Um, and now you add in a DeAndre Hopkins, you add in a Christian Kirk, you add in um, uh, Larry Fitzgerald, and now, you know, that's a really dangerous, you know, passing attack that we're looking at. So to me – if I had to say upset alert, it's there. And I think that that matchup, realistically, I think that the Cardinals are locked into the seven for the most part. They're eight and six, and I don't know that they're going to pass um, the Bucks, Rams, or Seahawks. Mm -hmm. So I think that they stay seven, and I think that, you know, the only potential change is if the Saints fall from the two seed. The Saints have the, the Vikings this week. That's a dangerous game short week after a tough game where you had a lot of people go down to injury um still really short uh wide receiver roster marcus williams you're starting free safety was probably going to be important with uh a deep threat um like justin jefferson out there he's probably going to miss the game um 
so this and this is a team that bounces from the first round of the playoffs. So that's got potential upset written on it. Look, we haven't even clinched the division yet. So we have to win this game. Uh, we have the Panthers uh, in week 17. So I think that that's where your potential upset is. In terms of movement, I think the potential movement that could still remain is between the Seahawks and the Rams. Because even though the Rams fooled around and lost to the Jets this past week, they finish with the Seahawks and then the Cardinals. So if they win both of those games, they finish 11 and five. They would um, have just beat the Seahawks head to head and they beat them previously. So you'd have two wins over the Seahawks. Um, and at that point, if the Seahawks, uh, well, yeah, at that point they would, if they both, if they both won on week 17, they'd be tied with the Rams on the tiebreaker. I think the Rams would, would, uh, get the division. So I think that's where your potential movement is. Um, and that three seed playing the six seed, I think both of those teams beat the Bucks. quite honestly. I think, I think the Saints, Seahawks, and Rams all bounce the Bucks out of the playoffs, right? Because of their weak offensive line and their weak secondary. Um, and and we've seen the Saints beat them twice. We've seen the Rams beat them. So that, that's just kind of my take on the NFC. Really worried about my Saints at the two seed, but I also don't believe in intentionally losing the drop down to the three because, you know, that puts you on the road after right. round game. Right. The road outside too, you know. Right, it means you either have to go to LA or Seattle in the next round, and then you have to go to Green Bay, which is just an insane amount of travel, and then fly to Tampa for the Super Bowl. So, um, I think you got to hold on to the two seed, and you just got to take your chances and, and play those Cardinals, and you know, scheme it to win. Listen, we would have no business losing to that young of a head coach with a guy like Sean Payton and Dennis Allen. You know, guys like Sean Payton and Dennis Allen as our coaches. Yeah, making a first playoff appearance under that regime, you know. So I agree. The only thing, other thing I want to point out is I know we've laughed at the NFC East, but that Washington football team's defense is legit. They went to Seattle and they lost 20 to 15. And that's the NFC West leading Seattle Seahawks. So, like, and I know. Haskins, right? So, yeah, Alex exactly. Likely be back for the playoff game. So I know we've been laughing at them, but I look at like a Washington you know, LA Rams game, like that's not a cakewalk for the Rams going across country to, yeah. to DC. And then, you know, they got some injuries at running back with Cam Akers. He had his ankle sprain. He came back, but, but he didn't look the same. Right. High ankle sprain. That's, that's, that's a lingering injury. Yeah. And, and golf has, has looked pedestrian. And if they don't have the play action game going, you know, golf is, it's, it's hard for him to hurt you. So, that's one of those games where I know we've been jo- joking about the NFC East, but that is definitely not a, a, a gimme game for anybody playing Washington in D.C. Uh, moving on to our weekend winners and losers, uh, or week winners and losers, I should say. Rob, who you got? All right. My uh, my my first winner this week is going to be you know Jalen Hurts. I believe he was your winner last week. And sure was. Listen, <laughs> I, I, I thought maybe that was a little early, a little rushed, but all he did was come back this week, go 24 for 44, 338 yards, three touchdowns, uh, no interceptions. He was sacked six, time, six times, right, which was always the complaint for Carson Wentz. The line was bad, but somehow it doesn't seem like that offensive line 
being bad stopped Jalen Hurts from performing. He also had 11 carries for 62 yards and a touchdown. Listen, if you were in a fantasy football playoff game and you had the balls to start Jalen Hurts, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you advanced. I think the only person who had a better game than him was Ryan Tannehill with uh, three touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns. Uh, uh, Jalen Hurts, another one of my correct predictions, but but go on. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't have time to address that. We could go on for days. <laughs> kiss of death, but I, I'll leave that for another day. My second winner is is offense in the SEC championship game. Listen, for years, I used to say that, you know, the SEC championship was, a, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the SEC was a, a league that was um, dominated by, you know, offensive and defensive lines. But it was dominated in the trenches. But what you didn't see was great play out on the edges and, and great play under center. The ACC had the better quarterbacks and um, just to turn just skill position play. You know, for years you had the, you know, all those Clemson receivers, the Florida State skill position players, um, and the SEC was producing offensive defensive line repeatedly. Well, listen. The SEC championship game was a showcase in talent under center and on in, at the other skill positions. Tr- Kyle Trask and Mac Jones, 408 yards for Trask, three touchdowns, 418 yards and five touchdowns for Mac Jones. Najee Harris, the running back position, went for 178 yards and two touchdowns. And I'll, I'll spare you, just keep reading off numbers, but Devontae Smith, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony, that would be Bama's wide receiver, Florida's tight end, Florida's wide receiver. All of these guys went for like a buck 50 and a touchdown or two. And all of these guys will be first round draft picks at the skill positions. And both of those quarterbacks for that matter may come off the board in the first round. So we were just treated to an offensive showcase of a game that may have consisted of at least six first round offensive players at the skill positions right and what i thought was interesting was the stat that popped up during the game that for passing yards in an sec championship game one and two are now mac jones and kyle trask from that game so just to let you know how that was how much of a legendary instant classic type sec championship game that was um, and it was also just a fun game to watch. My, Sad day for the SEC. My favorite play was actually the interception um, where the wide receiver from Bama just laid out the Florida player, blindsided him, knocked the ball out of his hands, and uh, Bama got the ball back. But I also thought as a referee that that was probably uh, helmet-to-helmet contact. But, you know, I know y'all let him play in the SEC. Um, my third winner for this week, John Morant, we talked about it a little bit off the podcast. He very may well end up being the best player coming out of that draft. And the kid's got heart, 44 points and nine assists in uh, his his season debut. But his most impressive play of the night was one of those LeBron James-esque plays where he just got trapped offensively and threw the ball off the backboard to himself, caught it, and and threw down a dunk. So check that one out um, on ESPN.com if you get the chance. Yeah, that dude is is elite, right? Like he he not only can shoot it, but he has the athleticism, like elite athleticism that you don't typically see. Like you know, Devin Booker and and uh, Steph Curry and those guys are killer shooters, but they don't always possess the elite athleticism. This dude has it all. Like he's scary. Um, going going into my 
winners. First, let's start off with, with Charlie Woods, Tiger Woods, mini me. For all the people like myself who grew up watching, introduced to golf by Tiger Woods, uh, you know, introduced many minorities to golf. Um, just just watching the dominance that is Tiger Woods. It, it is like part of it is sad as you see his career coming to an end. Well, if you saw this weekend, uh, PNC Championship, it's a pro-am tournament where a lot of the pros get their their either siblings, their parent, you know, their dad or or a, a child um, to play with them. Tiger had his son, Charlie Woods. And this kid looked like the a replica of uh, he looked like a four eight version of Tiger Woods. Um, outshined his dad, became the darling of social media over the weekend, um, and and they finished in seventh place. The kid actually got his first eagle of his career, which means he he shot two strokes under par on the hole. And uh, PGA Golf did a thing on Twitter, I believe it was, where they showed a whole bunch of uh, mannerisms that Tiger did throughout his career, and his son Charlie did the exact same mannerism. I mean, just looked like the, you know, next Tiger Woods in the making. So I'm excited to see this kid at 11, what he will become when he becomes a professional, if he decides to, to pursue professional golf. But um, all those fans, all those Tiger Woods fans, you, you might have 25 more years of of uh, Tiger Jr. coming in Charlie Woods. So that, that was exciting. Their mannerisms were so similar. That it was it scary. Staged. It almost seemed like somebody... Yeah have like shown him this video match <laughs> and got him to you know imitate his father yeah i mean from like the swing where he spins the club to like the fist pump after he makes a big putt every i mean everything it was it was crazy it was crazy his face while he's studying you know the putt how yeah. long it's gonna be everything yeah, was yeah it, it was tight it was a lot i, I ain't gonna lie as a, as a tiger fan it was it was tight to watch um my second winner is jason tatum um season debut drops 30 points against Milwaukee and uh down one with a couple seconds left he he banks a three-point shot off the glass he didn't call it but with Giannis in his face uh he he drilled the uh, the three-pointer with 0.4 seconds um they went up to Giannis wound up getting fouled uh going for you know an inbound pass but he missed a second free throw so Jason Tatum leads his team to victory in the, in their season debut and Boston is looking like a legit title contender um Going against the Nets this season in the Eastern Conference. And my last winner is Dion Primetime Sanders. You know, we've been joking a lot. A lot of people have been talking about is Dion really committed to being a head coach at Jackson State, or, or does he just want the title and, and, and the things that come with that? Well, he started off his career with a bang. And that's everybody knows to win in college football, you got to win on signing day. And in early signing day, Jackson State did just that, signing a top 40 national recruiting class. It's the number one recruiting class in HBCU history, and it's the number one football championship series class in this 2021 class. He signed a number 60 overall player in the ESPN 300 rankings, which was his son. But, hey, he got him. He got him to sign the dotted line. He got the number. What you say? You got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. Exactly. You know, why not your own blood? He got the number one Juco player, a cornerback, Dejon Warren, who decommitted from Georgia. He decommits from Georgia to go to Jackson State University. And then, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then last but not least, he gets eight Power Five transfers that come from schools like Southern California, Tennessee, Robs, Florida State. And his his other son, who's a transfer from South Carolina, a defensive back. So, I mean, 
Dion did what you have to do to be successful at the college level. And, you know, who knows, Rob? You know, if he's successful at Jackson State, maybe he becomes Florida State's next coach after Mike Norvell uh, fails. I'm about to get a little controversial on this podcast. It's going to be a cold day in hell. You <laughs> hires another black man to coach. Us. I'm just going to leave that at that. You know, some people don't see Dion as black. They just see him as Dion. <laughs> he's just prime time. But uh, let's move on to losers. Rob, who you got here? All right. My first loser this week is none other than our uh, Sun Belt Conference. The Sun Belt <laughs> Conference for a minute was, you know, home to the likes of, of, of UNO and whatnot. So we got real familiar with the Sun Belt Conference. But mm-hmm. now ULL is in the Sun Belt Conference. All right. Coastal Carolina is in the Sun Belt Conference. Coastal Carolina, obviously undefeated, you know, had that big victory over BYU. But the Sun Belt Conference announces that the conference championship game has to be canceled because of COVID, right? Coastal Carolina had multiple players, I believe defensive backs, who all tested positive, and they wouldn't be available uh, to, to play in the game. I think, you know, maybe one or two test positive, then the rest just, you know, now have to be quarantined based on exposure. I think the game actually was supposed to come on like a Friday or something like that. So they had to cancel the championship game. Um, that night, Billy Napier is like, obviously this game is being rescheduled, right? Billy Napier being the co- head coach of UL. And basically the Sun Belt Conference came out very quickly and said, we will be honoring both teams as 2020 Sun Belt co-conference champions. Now, the issue there, Coastal Carolina had already played UL back in like October and beat them 30 to 27. The other issue is this, you cannot be sitting back as a group of five complaining about your school not getting into the conference championship, I'm sorry, into the college football playoff, but you can't figure out a way to play your conference championship game. This is a situation where you have to try to figure out a way to make this game happen if you truly want to make an argument that your school needs to be in that college football playoff. And the fact that the Sun Belt Conference did not, was not able to, speaks to why they're always on the outside looking in. So they're my first loser this week for two reasons. One, because how are you going to make people co-conference champions when they play ahead of one team beat the right. other? And two, how do you not try to figure out a way to re- just reschedule this game? And I know what the issue is, probably realistically. They know they're going to go to some low-level bowl games. And those low-level bowl games are going to be played, you know, this weekend, essentially, the weekend that you would have rescheduled the game for. Um, and the other issue is that they also didn't want Coastal Carolina to lose the game because they had so many people out. But my thought is that's kind of the risk we took when we decided to play a season with COVID, right? Um, so that's why they become my first loser. My second loser is the LA Rams, obvious reasons. They lost to the Jets, um, winless Jets. First time, I think a nine-win team lost to a zero-win team. Um, but more importantly, they didn't just lose on any season. They're nine and four. They're in the middle of a playoff hunt not just a playoff hunt, a division hunt. They needed this game with everything in their being. They needed to win this game, and they lost it to a winless Jets team. They were favored by 17 points. They're only the fifth team in NFL history to lose when favored by that much. They were favored by 17 at New York. All right? And so that's just a <laughs> it's a huge line and then makes it, you know, a, a huge loss. You, sh- you should also make the Jets a loser because they lost the first pick. 
Yeah, that that's quite possibly the biggest thing <laughs> that now they'll likely go one in fifteen with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I think the Jaguars, I don't know if it goes to strength of schedule, but the Jaguars are gonna get the first pick over the Jets and Trevor Lawrence will be there. And if he becomes, you know, what some people compare him to like John Elway, if that becomes the storyline, then they'll forever remember that game. Um Justin Fields may not be that bad, but you know, losing out on Trevor Lawrence is a big deal. My third winner, James, I'm sorry, my third loser, James Harden. James Harden, he's just been fined $50,000 by the NBA. He's unavailable for Wednesday's game, probably more games than that, based on you know his violation of um, the COVID-19 protocols. Um, they see him in a video socializing in the strip club. And you know after he's seen in the video socializing in the strip club, he responds by saying, man, it's one thing after another. I want to show love to my homegirl. It wasn't a strip club. She was becoming a boss, putting herself on. And I just want to support her. Now it's a problem. And he's like, everybody's got something to say. You know, they're just trying to drag me down. Here's the problem. We saw a video of the incident. It may not be a strip club, but there were strippers there. <laughs> more importantly, there were more than 15 people there. There were probably about 50 people there and nobody was wearing a mask. The NBA's COVID protocol specifically prohibit players from going to bars, lounges or clubs or participating in any social gathering where there are more than 15 people. So by admitting that that video was a current video and that you were there, you admitted that you violated NBA COVID-19 protocols, thus triggering your suspension. Clearly, James Harden doesn't know the COVID protocols and what the rules are, so he got on social media and confessed <laughs> to the crime. Um, you know, as a as a lawyer, you can do nothing but shake your head at, a, at somebody who <laughs> tries to defend himself and in turn confesses to the crime. And look, James Harden's done a host of other things during the last month, all of which have just been embarrassing himself. If he's trying to force his way out, he's doing a horrible job at creating suitors. Uh, I've read somewhere that he needs to hire Clutch Sports because you know, <laughs> Clutch has seemed to to be successful at finding ways to get guys out without embarrassing themselves um, on a national level like this, or, or I should say, losing their own value. So I would um, I would advocate for James Harden to, to figure out you know a better way to go about what he's trying to do right now. And James, let's not get into semantics. It may not have been a strip club, but it was strippish. ish <laughs> <laughs> he, okay. he definitely had strippers there. It was open ass. <laughs> <laughs> With no mask. Right. Just this COVID spreading everywhere. And, and we I, are strippers. <laughs> so let's not do this. Let's right. not act like you're above going to a strip club in COVID. Let's not do this. If I see a, a pole in the establishment, that's a strip club. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, just, just to just general guidelines, and I'm I'm a, I'm a parlay this conversation right into my losers. Going with the Dwayne, Dwayne Haskins, coming off a loss, coming off a, a loss to the Seattle 2015, coming off of being benched after the first quarter of the season, dropping not only the starting role but dropping all the way to third string and not even dressing for over a month, um, being passed up by a guy who couldn't walk uh, two years ago in Alex Smith. Dwayne Haskins gets his job back due to injury. Uh, he's given a captain tag. And after the game, this video all over the internet of him at a strip club or a private party with strippers, semantics again, uh, yeah, yeah. Without, a, without a mask. It's Harden's quote because he made the same claim. Right. W without a mask. And 
<clears throat> um, on on Get Up this morning, Ryan Clark, Dominique Fox were two former defensive backs in the league. I, I thought described the incident and, and just the the backlash of the incident uh, perfectly. Uh, check that out on the internet if you can. Just basically going into you know the perception of black quarterbacks and specific specifically the perception of Dwayne Haskins himself as being lazy. Um, you know, not smart, not just. Not smart to not play the not not saying he's not smart to play the position, but just making dumb decisions on and off the field. Um, you know, last one in the in the, the practice facility, first one out, just a poor work work ethic, and doing what he did just confirms and gives credence to the people who make those accusations, not only about him but black quarterbacks in general. And so, just a loser all the way around. He was fined forty thousand dollars. He loses his captain tag and. Uh, you know, fortunately for him, he's not getting benched only because Alex Smith isn't healthy enough to play. So, so he's only he's only not getting benched because they have no one else to go to. So that's my first loser. Uh, my second loser, Juju Smith Schuster. He's a, uh, you know, been known to dance, kind of carry on that T.O. Chad Ocho Cinco tradition, uh, and he has a lot of fun with it, and that's all cool. And, and while they were top two, yeah, yeah, definitely. And and while they were winning. You know, it was it was all fun and games, right? He's dancing on logos at midfield every week. He's posting it on social media. And, you know, some teams have had an issue with it. And particularly a former New Orleans Saints player, Von Bell, had issue with him dancing on a Cincinnati Bengals logo uh, pregame. And, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster saw what he did, said he was going to continue to do it. Uh, going into the game, and in the game, Von Bell proceeds to knock his head off, force a fumble, and on, on Pittsburgh's way to lose the game. So now after three straight losses, Mike Tomlin had to come out and say, I'm going to talk to him. And Juju Smith-Schuster has uh, changed his tune a little bit and said he will no longer be dancing at midfield. So just a, you know, a lesson for all you young players out there. You know, don't give a team ammunition that they don't need. What material? Yeah. You know, it's just unnecessary. My last loser, Auburn University. Uh, if you remember, if you recall, last week my one of my winners was Gus Malzahn, who got fired after going six and four and, and being after a year after signing a contract extension and is due $21.7 million uh, a buyout clause. So this week, the Auburn University is my loser because after firing Malzahn, you know, agreeing to the buyout, they had at least five candidates turn down the job. Uh, some of the names you might be familiar with, Brent. Venerables, uh, who's a defense coordinator at Clemson, Rob's boy out of UL Lafayette, Billy Napier, um, just to name a few who turned down that job. And it came out that they were trying to force the head coach to take the defensive coordinator, Kevin Steele, due to him just signing a new contract extension. So they had a lot of big wig names come out and turn the job down, which made it look like Auburn, you know, maybe reacted too quickly in firing Gus Malzahn. But uh, they finally hired a coach today, the, the former Boise State head coach. Uh, so he signed on. So Auburn is my loser because they fired the coach they didn't want, and they didn't get the coach they wanted. So uh, and had to pay twenty one million dollars to make it. So that's it for our losers, winners, and losers. Let's move on to our picks before we head out of here, Rob. Uh, currently, I stand at seventeen twenty and three. Rob is twenty four thirteen and three. I'm gaining a little bit of ground. Uh huh. Let's get, let's get to that first game. You gaining some ground, huh? <laughs> Try. <laughs> Try. Even if I go undefeated next two weeks, I still can't beat you. But 
I'm gonna get close. Uh, let, let's go to our hometown team. Christmas Day game, Minnesota Vikings at New Orleans Saints. Saints are a seven-point favorite. Rob, who you got? I would love to say that the Saints are going to cover this spread, but <laughs> week after a brutal 4.25 p.m. game on uh, Sunday, I have substantial concerns that why I think we will win, we won't cover the seven-point spread, maybe a six-point game or four-point game by way of maybe a late score by Minnesota is, is what I'm thinking. I don't know how a team uh, with so many injuries, uh, Drew Brees coming back, looking real rusty, you know, doesn't even admitted that he's not 100 percent. I'm not sure how we become a seven point favorite. However, Minnesota came coming off a bad loss against Chicago, fighting for a playoff spot. Uh, they don't want to play on Christmas Day. Their playoff hopes have been dashed. Now they can't spend Christmas with their families. They don't want to be there. So I think the Saints win and I think they win by at least seven points. Uh, so I'm going with the Saints here. Next game, we talked about it a lot in our NFL storylines. The Colts at Steelers with big implications for, for division uh, leads here. Pittsburgh is a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Rob, who you got? For the record, for the record, they have not been. Minnesota still has like a two-point percent chance of making the playoffs. A whole bunch of stuff has to happen. But um, you know, they're six and eight. Arizona's eight and six. So they're not totally out. Um Indianapolis versus Pittsburgh. I've kind of already hinted at this when we're talking about division, but you know, Big Ben's playing horrible. The Pittsburgh Steelers are reeling. Love me some Mike Tomlin, but don't love the production of that team on the field. And I think one thing that's being, you know, undervalued is just the loss of, you know, Bud Dupree, Devin Bush at the linebacker position. Um, and then the receiver play and then James Conner back and forth, injured, not injured. Um, so I got the Colts winning this one um, by the field goal. Okay, look, there's only uh, not too many people in the NFL have a week on than Drew Brees. The one guy that I think may starts for the Indianapolis Colts and Phillip Rivers. Um, on the road at Pittsburgh in the cold, I'm taking Pittsburgh uh, winning by at least three. I know Pittsburgh is struggling. Roethlisberger is struggling. And Mike Tomlin called it out about a month ago when they played the Ravens on, on, on like a Wednesday. You know, they won a the game, but he said he, they look like a JV team. And ever since he made that statement, they've lost three in a row. So, you know, I, I think Pittsburgh is reeling. But the Colts are a dome team going on the road at Pittsburgh. And while there is no crowd, there will be, you know, elements. It could possibly snow. So I think Pittsburgh wins that at home. Uh, our last game. Tennessee at Green Bay. That's the Sunday night game. Uh, Green Bay is three and a half point favorites. Rob, who you got? Yeah, I mean, Green Bay basically win and you got the one seed. Um, and Tennessee just doesn't have the defense to slow the Packers down. I'm also in a fantasy football championship where I have Devontae Adams and Aaron <laughs> Jones. And so I'm all in on the Packers at this point. And so I got them winning and covering the spread. I hope the Packers get shut out. <laughs> um <laughs> I uh, I agree with you. I think Ryan Tannehill had a career day uh, last week. Five touchdowns, three three passing, two rushing. I don't see a repeat performance going on the road at Green Bay. Green Bay got everything to play for to lock up that number one seed. Um, and 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 believe me, I want Tennessee to win because I need that hundred dollars from you. But uh, but I believe Green Bay is the better team. And and uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers struggled last week uh, against uh, who was that they played last week. 
I can't remember shit. But whoever they played, they won. The, the Panthers. He didn't. He didn't play well, but they won a game. I think this week he bounces back with a great game, and I think Green Bay wins going away by at least seven points. So yeah, I mean, uh, he's by Aaron Rodgers standards, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But uh, man, look, that's all we got, man. Merry Christmas to y'all. Uh, Rob sent us out with some Christmas music. What we got? All right, let's get out of here. Some more, some more bounces. Whatever it is, got to be simple. But let's get out of here. Definitely, let's go. Oh, oh.